This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. This is the word of God. And you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. And then, come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thanks, Lord, for this word. Thanks for your teaching and for your insight into who we are. We pray that you would help us to not only hear what you're saying, but also to obey it so that we could, we could be more like Jesus in everyday life. Be a witness to the world for your sake. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever thought about how you greet people? I remember um, there was a long time I would say, what's up? And then there was a season uh, maybe 20 years ago when I was working at this church. We had a group of uh, French uh, uh, exchange students that had come to visit us. And this was back when there was that commercial out there and the guy would, he'd go, hey, what's up? And the other guy would go, what's up? And it was just, what's up, what's up, back and forth. And so I would, these, these French students were learning to how to speak English. And so I wanted to teach them a little bit of like common culture, but I realized like, what are we saying when we're saying what's up? What is up? It doesn't make any sense in terms of, you know, just a, a literal translation because they would, they kind of would glance up right? Doesn't, doesn't, so when you say, what's up? It doesn't, you're not actually asking. You're just saying, hey, how you doing? Or how are you doing? What does that mean? Like, does it mean, what are you doing? Or how are things going for you? Some people say, how you feeling? Have you ever thought about that? How are you feeling? What are the feelings that you're having right now? Boredom? Excitement? Concern? Anxiety? We have all kinds of feelings. This last year, we've had a tremendous amount of feelings that with maybe not different feelings than we've ever had before, but maybe with different uh, levels of intensity because of all the disruption that we faced in so many ways. All the disagreement, all of the, the tension that's been there. Maybe you felt ang- anxious. Maybe you felt afraid. Maybe you felt worried. Maybe you felt discouraged. Did you ever feel angry? I would bet that that's a pretty common result of the things that we've faced. We've missed out on things. We've had to do things that we don't like to do. We're wondering, is this the right thing to do? How long do I keep doing this? What's going on? I can feel frustrated. And we like to use the word frustrated because it's kind of a toned down angry. It's not really great to say, I feel really angry about all this stuff all the time. But saying I'm frustrated by it is much more palatable, isn't it? 
But anger is an important feeling that we have. In fact, all the feelings that we have are really important, and I think that we should pay attention to what those feelings are because they help us to understand how we're thinking, how we're doing, right? What's up in our lives? Like, what's going on within us as we pay attention to the feelings that we have? If we have an emotional response to something, we should pay attention and say, God, what are you wanting to teach me about how I'm reacting and responding in this moment? What's going on in me that's a result of what I'm experiencing out here that can help me to grow in my faith? That's being self-aware and learning. Because sometimes our emotional responses aren't healthy. They're not good. And we need to learn not to get rid of our emotion, but to be able to, how do we navigate the emotions that we feel in ways that are healthy? And one of the emotions that we can feel often is the emotion of anger, the feeling of anger. And Matthew speaks to us, Jesus speaks to us in the Gospel of Matthew on this, this feeling of anger. What is anger? And so we're going to explore that and, and look at it because anger is an important issue in our culture. It leads to things. Um, you may have heard this story a few years ago about Jennifer Hudson. She's the Academy Award winning actress and the star who was in, uh, she was in American Idol. And she had to testify in the trial of her former brother-in-law because he was accused of murdering her mom and brother and nephew. She was, uh, his, her sister was divorced from this man, but he flew into a jealous rage when he encountered her with someone else. They saw birthday balloons and he thought they had been given to her from another man. And so he went from being um, a husband to an ex-husband to a person who was facing a life sentence. This is a reality. You know that half of all women who are murdered are, are done so by their former husband. Crimes of passion are the result of someone who just can't control their anger. Something that everyone goes through. A small disagreement becomes another disagreement and then they become lots of disagreements and then eventually this person explodes and devastation occurs in the relationship. And most of us think, well, I could never really get that mad. But that happens to other people. And when we think about it, you know, someone who commits a murder, well, that's a different class of person than I am. I'm not that kind of person. Something that, that's not, I'm, I'm not capable of, of that reality. I would never do such a thing, and honestly, I really kind of struggle to understand how someone could. That's the bad people in the world. And those people deserve justice because they're guilty. But it may not really be so cut and dried for us if you think about it. Because if we read this portion of the Bible on the Sermon on the Mount, we see uh, that the Pharisees, who are the people that I spoke about last week, who look to the law for their justification, they, they want to be seen as people who observe the law on the outside, even though their hearts aren't really walking with God. They have kind of a similar view uh, than we do. Right? As long as I don't kill somebody, then I'm not guilty of murder. But Jesus, what he does, and is what he often does, is he actually raises the standard for what God's law communicates. In fact, in the next sections of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is laying out how his teaching is, is very different from the Pharisaical teaching. Each time he starts out by saying, you have heard it said. Right? So there he's referring to the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees who were saying, this is what God says. But, and Jesus says, you've heard it said describing what the Pharisees say. But then he says, this is what God's command actually says. And so here he reminds them of these challenging words. If you look at uh, verse, verse 20, 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that's an astounding thing to say because the Pharisees were believed to be the people who observed the laws better than anybody because that's what they wanted everyone to think. By their outward appearance and their actions, they were observing the laws. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to challenge these viewpoints. They're just using the law to demonstrate to you that they're righteous. Right? In those times when we really aren't following God, but we want to present to people that we're being good, that's what we're doing. We're being pharisaical. But see, even for the Pharisees, when they gaze upon the holiness of God's law, the ultimate standard that it is, they would see that they're also falling short of the glory of God. See, they would be cut to the heart, convicted of sin, and forced to acknowledge that they have a desperate need for a Savior just like everyone else. And see, when we stare into the holy law of God, we realize that we're the same. And that's what moves us to rejoice in what Jesus has done for us because there's nothing that we can do to be right before God. And that happens, we acknowledge that and see that when we stare into his holy word. See, the Pharisees had lessened the significance of the law by saying it's only murder. If you actually kill a person, that's what murder is. And then they further demean the law by saying, you shall not murder because you'll be liable to judgment. Not the judgment of God, but the judgment of the council. Essentially what they're saying is murder is wrong if you get caught. So as we go through this understanding of anger, we're going to look at some different aspects of it. So here's the, the reality of anger. If you're doing sermon notes, it's on the back. The reality of anger, the R's. What Jesus is doing is expanding our view of what it means to understand this command. He's saying that even if you feel angry towards your brother or your sister, then you're liable to the council. He says even if you call someone a fool because you're angry with them, you're liable to hell. You're guilty of murder. And that's a strong, strong statement, right? You see how it's different than saying, well, if you actually commit murder, if you put a person's life to death, that's guilt. But this one is saying, if you say someone is a fool, you're guilty. Now, it makes sense to us if a person has killed another one, that they should receive a just punishment. That's, that's orderly. Now, even though there's disagreement about what that punishment should be in our culture, most people agree that there should be some kind of justice meted out for the person who's guilty of killing another. But why does Jesus say we'll be liable to hell of fire even if we're only mad at someone? That seems excessive to us. But Jesus is pointing out the reality that most of the time when we're angry, it's because of some injustice that we perceive we are feeling. Most anger is a selfish anger. That means if something happens that you don't like or your schedule gets interrupted or people don't acknowledge you in the way that you believe you should be acknowledged, then you get anger. That's an injustice done to you or a perceived injustice done to you. So think about this. When was the last time you were really mad? This morning? <laughs> Yesterday? Sometime this week? Or, you know, clenching of the teeth? Why was it? What was the last outburst that you had? Outburst. Was it because someone else was experiencing injustice? Or was it because you were experiencing some kind of injustice? Maybe it wasn't a huge deal. Later you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. 
But at some point you were like, man, it's not right. Was it about someone else or was it about you? And I don't know, maybe you guys are different than me. Maybe this doesn't happen to you. Uh, maybe you are only, you only experience righteous anger, unlike me, who I often experience anger, anger that's unjustified because someone has, you know, interrupted my schedule or like, I'm trying to get this done and don't you understand what I'm trying to do? Just please don't bother me because this is really important. Obviously, you're not important to me because what I'm doing here is more important, right? <laughs> you know, is, are people acknowledging my accomplishments, the, the work that I'm doing? Um, is what I want to happen in life, in general, happening in life? Or am I frustrated, angry, that what I want to happen isn't happening? You know, and, and most of us, hopefully, will not kill anyone in the room. But often, our anger toward people kills them in different ways. You know, we don't think anything of destroying someone's reputation because they've hurt us by talking about what a fool that they are. Oh, did you hear about Matt? <laughs> Idiot. We don't think anything of just talking about people. And there's a hurt that's been caused in us, so then it's much more easy for us to say things about someone else. Instead of talking to them about what we feel, we talk to someone else about how they've harmed us. We whisper criticism about them to other people to try to shake their confidence. We engage in deliberate fault-finding, right? Hear all the things wrong with the person instead of saying, hear all the wonderful things that they do. Hear all the wonderful things that they are. They're all different from the things that I'm good at. And I want to celebrate the differences that they have. You know, killing someone doesn't just mean to do it physically. It can mean to destroy, to harm a person's spirit, a person's soul. This week, as you think about how you spoke about other people, did you always speak in a way that would build up someone's soul even if they weren't present? Was everything that you said and the manner in which you said it, an encouragement to try to build another up in the way of Jesus. Were all of your thoughts and all of your words and all of your actions used to encourage or edify? Or were they ordered toward getting what you want? You see, anger can be very subtle. As I said, it's not always fury or wrath. Sometimes it's, oh, I'm just frustrated. Or it can be a, a feeling of contempt that we try to, to hide, a sense of scorn or derision. That's essentially murdering another person, Jesus is saying. Contempt toward a person of a lower status or who, who frustrates us at work. There's a famous study on marriage by a guy named Gottman, and he would interview couples and ask them questions about, like, talk, he said, talk to me about a problem in your marriage. And he said after a three to five minute interview, based on studies and research done over many, many years, he could predict with 90% certainty whether or not the couple was going to get a divorce within two to five years. And he said one of the main indicators of marital problems was an eye roll. Rolling your eyes. Because rolling your eyes is like, is like oh my God. Right? When you roll your eyes at someone, it's, it's a sign that you're showing to the world of contempt. Now, I get there's a joke eye roll, like, oh, oh, you know. But like if it's like a full-on real eye roll with the emotions behind it, that can be a sign of contempt. And so, that's an indicator that we feel better than a person in that moment. 
And that's what Jesus is talking about. Because he's saying, don't let that get down into your heart. That's the, the reality of anger. That's, that's there for us. And this isn't like, hey, I know this is going on in you and it's not happening to me. This is all of us, if we're honest. And it's good to be honest, right? Say yes, somebody. So what's the result of anger? What happens if we know the reality of anger exists, then what's the result of it? It reveals our brokenness, right? It shows us that we're not holy, and that means we can begin to solve the problem. We don't solve it. Jesus solves it, but we can begin to address the problem. But anger affects our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with each other. Verse 23 says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift, therefore, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying that dealing with your anger is so important that it's more important than worship of God. Dealing with your anger is more important than worship of God. Why? Because your anger impedes your ability to worship God. I mean, think about this. The people that you have with whom you have unresolved conflict. Maybe you said something. Maybe they said something. Maybe you don't even remember what the something was. But you don't talk to them. And it's uncomfortable. Well, what's gone on there? That the, the reality of anger has brought the result of anger, which is a broken relationship. There's hurt there. And that ill will can lead to bitterness. If you're not willing to reconcile with the other person, it can lead to your heart becoming hardened to that person. Instead of remembering that this is my brother or sister in Christ, you go, well, that's the case. She doesn't, you know, understand. I mean, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. <laughs> Your heart becomes hardened to that person. The person you used to love and have a relationship with now is someone you don't even want to hang out with. And they're sitting in the room right now. Have you ever said that about somebody that you used to love? I don't even care about them anymore. One day there were two monks and they were walking through the countryside and they were on their way to a village to help bring in these crops. And as they walked along, they, they spied an old woman who was sitting at the edge of a river. And she was upset because there wasn't a bridge and she couldn't get across on her own. And so the first monk kindly offered and he says, we will carry you across if you like. And she said, oh, absolutely, yes, accepting their help. And they joined hands and they lifted her across the river. When they got to the other side, they set her down and then she went on her way. Well, after they had walked another mile or so, the second monk began to complain. Look at my clothes. They're filthy from carrying that lady across the river. Man, my back hurts from carrying her. I can feel kind of stiff. The first monk just kind of smiled and nodded. A few more miles up the road, the second monk griped again. My back is it's killing me. It's all because we had to carry that lady across the river. I can't go any farther because of this pain. The first monk looked over at his partner, who was now lying on the ground, moaning, and he goes, have you wondered why I'm not complaining? He says, your back hurts because you're still carrying the woman. I set her down five miles ago. Are there things in your life, in your family, in your relationships, where you continue to carry on and 
hold on to those past hurts and those past wounds. Now, look, a, a back injury as a result of carrying someone needs to be addressed, right? I'm not saying that the issues that you face with this person that God is putting on your heart right now are not real, and it's not because they're a real hurtful thing. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, especially, then we can work it out. In fact, we have to work it out because it's impeding our relationship with each other and it's impeding our worship of Almighty God. I mean, think about the oyster. The oyster takes a grain of sand and turns it into a beautiful pearl. Too often, we're the opposite. We take pearls and we turn them into grains of sand. Right? We've got these great relationships and friendships and we just let something even if it's not small, get in between and affect our relationships. So there's the reality, there's the response. What's the reason for anger? In order to deal with our anger, we've got to understand what the reason for anger is. Anger is always about love. Anger is always about love. Something that we love is being threatened, right? It might be your reputation. You're standing in the community. You consider yourself a good person who's contributed to society and to your family. And when your work ethic or when your contribution is belittled, you get angry, right? Because someone is saying that you're not who you present yourself to be. What do you mean? I'm working my tail off here. I'm giving every single thing I can to this family. I'm working hard at this company. I'm giving everything I've got. How can you say that I'm not contributing in a meaningful way? It could be at work. Could be in your home, it's even in the church. But don't you see everything that I'm doing around here? In that moment, we've got to ask ourselves, what's being threatened that I love? You see, we'll never overcome anger if we just say, hey, stop being angry today, guys. Go out there and have, go out and get them. You can't get through the parking lot with that answer. Unless we're expressing righteous anger, which is anger towards someone who's enacting injustice toward another. We've got to deal with the problem that's in our heart, right? Remember, Jesus said, be angry and do not sin. So anger in and of itself is not a sin. It's the wrong kind of anger that we express. It's the thoughts, words, and actions that we engage in that cause us to be liable before the Lord. So if you're angry, ask yourself this question. Is there something in my life that's too important for me? Is there something in my life that I must have? Why is it that I'm angry? What's the root issue that's causing me to be angry? Is something, uh, am I being blocked from having something that I think is necessary that actually isn't necessary? So write down what that might be. What is going on? What is the reason why I have resentment or contempt? Why am I rolling my eyes when this person talks? What is that? Right, so here's the application part, right? This is what God is saying to you. Remember the wise man built his house upon the rock. He heard what God said and did it. The foolish man, woman, heard what God said and didn't do it. So what's God saying to you? What is the thing that God is working on your heart right now? There's a relationship. There's an issue. What is it? Write it down and say, what is going on that makes me feel so angry in this moment about this thing? Because this is where freedom comes. This is where the Jesus way makes a difference, right? Then we become more like Christ, because our, our concerns aren't uh, worldly, they're heavenly. But because we have heavenly concerns, then we can operate in the world in a healthy manner. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's how it actually applies to every aspect of your life all the time. So then what's the response to anger? 
When we consider the sin beneath the sin, we must acknowledge there's something more valuable to us than God. Right? And that thing, when it's being threatened, that's when we lash out. When our reputation, it's like, I'm going to defend myself because you can't say those things about me. And I'm going to respond in a mean, vicious way about it. I'm going to attack you because you've attacked my reputation. But if I love Jesus and I'm insecure in Jesus, then I'm not, you can say anything you want. Because in fact, it's probably actually worse than you're saying it. <laughs> I'm just not willing to acknowledge it publicly. But because I know Jesus, I can say, yeah, you're right. And, and, and here's, here's, what, here's what else is true that you don't know about. But you know, it's okay because Jesus loves me. And he set me free from that response. See, even if, if something is said about you that's hurtful or mean or insensitive, you know because of Jesus, your value doesn't come from you accomplishing your goals or having a great family or having a wonderful career or having a beautiful home. You aren't identified or given identity from that. Your identity comes from Jesus. And so if any of that is threatened or isn't the way you want it to be, you're free because your hope is in Jesus. See, when I realize my value comes totally from Christ, I can be honest and say, yeah, you know, it's actually worse than you could ever imagine, but Jesus loves me more than I can ever imagine. And I'm working through it. See, our response to anger should be a, a holy discontent, right? Like, what is going on in the world? Our anger should be focused on injustices that other people are experiencing, to stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. And our response, the, the victory that we have is only possible because of the rout of anger. What does that mean? Well, the rout is the defeat. Right? Jesus took anger on at the cross and defeated it. He routed anger. And you know, the, the wrath of God is not something that we really think about or talk about a lot, right? We think about love. You know, it's not like love, joy, wrath on the kitchen wall, right? But wrath is an important aspect of the character of God. Why is it important? Because the scriptures teach us that God has wrath as part of his character. Arthur Pink, uh, a theologian, says this, the wrath of God is his eternal detestation of all unrighteousness. It's the displeasure and indignation of divine equity against evil. It is the holiness of God stirred into activity against sin. You see, God is rightly against, angry against sin because sin is a rebelling against his authority, no matter what kind. It's a violation of his sovereignty. And the thing is, if God was not angry with sin, if he didn't hate evil, he wouldn't be just. We must have a God who's angry with sin, or sin would eventually, ultimately, eternally go unpunished. It is a good thing that God is a God of wrath, because it means that he will deal justly with the sin of this world and with the evil one. He will make right the wrongs, the things that we look at in our culture that happened last week, and we can't make sense of it, and we say, where's the justice in this? We know that one day God will make right He will right all the wrongs. But that means that each of us, all the bad people, which is everybody, are going to be held accountable for their sin. 
Pink states, God's anger is not a malignant or malicious retaliation inflicting injury for the sake of it or in return for injury received. No, while God will vindicate his dominion as the governor of the universe, he will not be vindictive. God's anger is not an irrational lack of self-control, as it so often is with people. His anger is the settled opposition of his holy nature that is toward everything that is evil. And this opposition to sin can't be dismissed with the wave of a hand. It requires something more substantial. And as the Bible states, that was dealt with at the cross. The wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus, the perfect, sinless one. The propitiation of our sins, 1 John says, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. You see, our God is compassionate. He's loving. Slow to anger, but rich in love. Slow to anger means it's going to take him a long time to express his anger. But express his anger, he will, when he poured it out on Jesus and when all of the unjust are judged. See, the only one who never deserved to experience God's anger took the wrath upon himself, suffering physically, death, but also spiritually, so that you despite all your anger that is misguided, could be forgiven. Because Jesus' anger has been routed on the cross, we're free to live in grace. So when we get angry, and when we know the anger that we've expressed is not healthy, we can say, you know what, man, Lord, thank you so much for forgiving me. You set me free. Even the anger that I've expressed, when I know, I know it's not right. Jesus, you love me, and you've forgiven me. May I live for you. So that when, I, when someone says something about me that isn't true, it makes me mad, I can say, you know what? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And that's going to change how I live my life in this very moment. See, we've experienced uh, God's grace in Christ. When we deserve punishment, we experienced grace, that amazing grace that we just sang about. That's what makes it amazing. So we don't deserve it, but God gives it freely. But it's not free. Jesus paid an ultimate price for it. And Thank because we've experienced it freely, then we should extend it freely. To serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd to like all to those learn people more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandprez.org. Thank you very much. In the much. spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles went to Boston to play in a baseball game. Just a regular baseball game. But whatever happened on that day was not a regular baseball game. Uh, John McGraw from the Orioles got into a fight with the third baseman uh, from Boston. And so within minutes, all of the players from both teams had joined in the brawl, a bench-clearing brawl. You've seen these. This is what makes the highlights these days when everybody runs out and there's this, this melee on the, on the field. But what happened that made this different is that then the, what happened on the field began to spread into the stands. There were fights going on in the stands. That conflict went from bad to worse because someone lit the stands on fire. And the whole baseball park burned to the ground. And not only that, but the fire spread from the baseball park to the surrounding buildings such that 107 other buildings in Boston burned as well. So two guys in an argument on the baseball field burned 107 buildings and a baseball stadium. That's what anger can do. It can burn your house down. 
Has your anger become something that has affected your relationships? I mean, the answer is yes for all of us. It's affected our relationship with God, self, others, even creation. Has it, has it harmed relationships in your family? Has it harmed relationships in your community? Yes, the answer is yes for all of us. And so what do we do? What's the response to this? Well, we repent of our anger. We repent of the thing that has motivated us to say our relationship with God and our relationship with people is less important than this thing that was said or not said. So we then repent of that and we say, God, please forgive me for putting this thing before you. That's the first step in it, is to wonderfully repent and to say, Lord, thanks for revealing it to me. Thanks for including this story in a 2,000-year-old sermon so that I could reflect on it in this moment and go, God, you want to teach me something, and you now want me to obey something. So what is God calling you to do in light of what he said? Maybe it's to go and restore relationship with a person who hurts you and to say, I forgive you. Now, I know we have to be careful because some relationships are abusive, and that requires a different kind of uh, restoration that is not just going back. But I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about regular relation, big, and it can become big conflict, but there's not a ma major power differential like that can happen in an in a abusive relationship. It's to say, God, what do you want me to do to forgive and to move on? And maybe the forgiveness needs to happen for a person who's now deceased. And you say, Lord, I just need to forgive that person. And you repent of my anger to be restored unto you. Because that's how we become more like Jesus. And, and that's a great thing if it happens in your heart. I'm all for that. I'm all for that. But you know what makes it really powerful is when you go to the person and you say, I want to talk to you about this because we've been, we've been too far apart relationally for far too long. And I know that I need to come and talk to you about it. And here's, here's my part. I want to acknowledge my part in this. And forgive. And you know what? Then what happens is no matter what they say, you're set free, right? That's the beauty of it. You're set free. It's your, your, your relationship with God and relationship with them really does not depend upon how they respond to you. Because you can, you can say, I've done my best to, to love and to serve and to ask forgiveness for my anger. And that begins to change a family, a community, a world, where people that are hurt um, don't act with violence. They don't act with anger to hurt or harm others, but there's understanding and forgiveness. And let's let that start with us. Let's pray.